Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are the independent voice of Fulham FC. Well, on a night where K-Max scores off his arse, hopefully we won't be hitting a bum note on the podcast tonight. And it's an international flavour on tonight's Fulhamish podcast, representing many corners of the globe. Starting off with the Irishman, Secretary Jack Collins. Hola, how are we doing? Oh, you didn't go for your standard trademark? Hello, listeners. There we go. I was feeling a bit worried for a second. Don't worry, I'm silly. And we've got two debutants on the podcast tonight. Very, very exciting indeed. So, introducing first... Mr. Nathan Martin from Mississippi. From Laurel, Mississippi. How you doing, ma'am? Uh, yeah, trying. Yeah, good. Still recovering. Voice a little bit uh, shook, but happy. Well, yeah, we should say we're directly after the match tonight. Yeah. Normally, we wait a couple of days, gather our thoughts, <laughs> but today there's no filter. It's straight out of Craven Cottage. Uh, it's about a couple of hours. It's about an hour after the game finished, and also making her debut uh, from Northern Ireland. It's Lydia Campbell. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. good. Nice to be here. Well, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for, for quite a while. There's been intense negotiations with Dan Crawford from Hammy End, but he's relented and allowed you on loan. Yeah, uh, so it's ju- just a loan deal for now, but, but that's all right. Deal. I mean, think think about the great loans um, recently at Fulham. So yeah, we're, lo- right. we're looking to make it permanent <laughs> in the summer, but I'm sure we'll <laughs> take what we can get. Yeah. If you're a loan deal, no, a permanent, we'll have it all. We'll have them all. She's one of our loans. Right, well, <laughs> well, uh, two brilliant victories over the Easter weekend. Fulham went hunting for points and they picked up everything uh, that was on offer. Um, Jack, let's do some three-word reviews from tonight's victory uh, against Leeds at the Cottage. Uh, what came in? Alex Harris's 18 games unbeaten was the you know first first entry and obviously one that... that resonates well with us yep. to which the response was Tom Dorsett's disgust Steph Joe shithousery which we will do Tom we will very <laughs> much be doing that Jack and Loz came through with incredible invincible inflammable um, the three kind of you know the ascending triumvirate is actually the phrase for it but it were prominent tonight and Billy Marsh came through with bets butts ball game it <laughs> <laughs> was really really good uh, McDonald Excellent. butt goal DJH came through with a water counter uh, Richard Moore Big Max buns which I thought was was very very good um, and Will came through with superb Steph Joe shithousery and we will discuss it we will discuss it indeed well just before we get on to all the reaction from Leeds just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk so it was Easter Tuesday and Leeds came to town under the floodlights at Craven Cottage Fulham picked up a 2-0 win and Lydia I don't think that Fulham was scintillating in either game over Easter, but we did what we needed to do, and two two-nil victories very much leaves us in the hunt. It's an ambitious hunt, but still in the hunt for second place, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, with only five points of Cardiff now, and I think these are the sort of games that you know people weren't really worried about. You know, we had those uh, that crazy run of six games, and then all of a sudden. We have these games that people sort of thought, well, we should have won. But for me, each game is massively difficult. It's just difficult in a very different way. Um, Cardiff, um, you know, are still still winning, although they didn't they didn't win the other night. Um, but the hunt is on. We have to win all, all of these games, and we have to we, we we have to take care of our own business, and we we, we have so far. Uh, Nathan, it's a couple of kg starts in both games, really. Uh, and tonight, I feel like Fulham were given a little slice of fortune with the opening goal. Uh, Mitrovic, with a good header for, from the corner, uh, headed down straight into the backside of Kevin McDonald, and it, and it goes into the net. And we find ourselves in a good position because up until then, I'd say that the game had been fairly even with Fulham being slightly on top. Yeah, I think we, we came in a little bit cagey. It was uh, we watched the goal um, just before we started recording this, and it's it's quite funny to watch just the utter cluelessness that Kevin McDonald has with the ball coming into the box, and just the just the the tender fun that he's uh, g- given from the players after he scores it. But up until that point, like you said, 
you know, Fulham had had this sort of stretches of Kearney bossing it about, moving moving it around the pitch, but then they'd sort of just bit like with QPR, where a pass or two would go awry and, you know, slipping on the pitch, you know, a little bit slippery again tonight. And you sort of felt like, you know, we, we had our chances, but we weren't taking them. And you sort of felt like we left the door open for, for a counterattack. And thankfully, we got the goal before halftime. And it sort of changed the mood of, 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 the, of the cottage and, 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 of, and of Fulham. They sort of settled down a little bit after that. Jack, someone described to me on Twitter over the weekend. Well, not to me personally, but I saw, you know, on my browsing. Fulham are a bit like a seasoned boxer in their experience of letting the opponent kind of come onto them to a point, mm. tiring them out, letting them do some jabs, but you know, protecting themselves, and then just striking with knockout blows. It's kind of what happened against Norwich, you'd say. There were, there were nothing really happened for the first 45. Norwich went defensive and we just played it cool, and then we got two late goals. Today, although we got quite a lucky one off McDonald early, which I don't think either Fulham or Leeds could have prepared for it seemed similar today we were just taking it easy in the first half an hour doing our thing keeping our game plan and eventually we come with a couple of knockout strikes it seems to be a tactic that's working very well for Slavisa at the moment I don't think it's about taking it easy in the first period I think it's about stretching teams and what we've said when we've done really well this season is that we look to take teams apart we look to make them work and we keep possession and you look at all those kind of possession stats and we've already made the Guardiola comparisons I don't need to do them again because they're not you know they're not perfect but they serve a purpose here and what they do is what Guardiola does with his teams what Yukanovic likes to do as well is that he stretches teams and he makes them work without the ball and when teams don't have the ball they can't hurt you one and two they're always working and so as long as you're stroking the ball about especially when it's nil nil or you're one nil up or two nil up then teams can't hurt you and what we do is we stretch them, we stretch them, we stretch them, we make them run on those fullback overlaps and we make them, you know, and then we, and we bring them all the way back to our back four and we make them push up again and then we push them back again. And it, all it does, it moves people about. And basically, since the Sheffield United game, something I've really noticed is that we don't look to absolutely brutalise teams anymore. You look at last season, we got the 5 nils, the 5 ones, mm. the teams where we absolutely tore teams apart and we wouldn't stop. We don't do that anymore. We go 2 nil up and we just keep possession. We don't, bother with the whole we don't need three we don't need four we're not on a goal difference hype anymore we're just about trying to get to those teams get the thing and then just control the game absolutely control it and what it does is it wears teams out and you look at Sheffield United where we kept the ball for 11 minutes like you look at that no team does that and how do you cope with that as an opposition team when you're 2-0 down when a team are just stroking the ball about for 11 minutes they can't cope with that and today all we did was we hit a, uh, we got a lucky goal yeah then we broke we hit them on the counter as they were trying to push and then we just kept the ball and we just controlled the game and yes we had a couple of hairy moments right at the end when you know things happened and against QPR the difference was that we didn't do that in the first game we didn't in the first half we didn't really stretch them massively yes we scored two goals but they sat 10 men behind the ball and we can work with that because if they sit 10 men behind the ball we can normally work through teams what they did was they set 10 men behind the ball they got a lucky goal and then they pushed us and then we were like oh god we're only one up we can't control the game like we normally do and that's the difference between the games where we've absolutely dominated and the games like QPR where we've really been under the cosh I was just going to say it was a note that I had both Sess and Fredericks they were pushed almost off the pitch. And it was something watching um, the highlights from City over the weekend. I know you don't want to bring up the Pep comparisons, yeah. but I think you're exactly right. You know, Slav has them playing out so, so far wide. And it means that Sess is, is sort of waiting there. There's acres of space and they do have to work very, very hard for it. You saw the Leeds United players just absolutely exhausted. And to be fair, I thought Fred Fredo was absolutely shattered by the end of the game. But that was because it sort of creates this acres of space. And with the QPR game, we tried to ping it about. We were missing that pass. Yeah. Whereas tonight, we actually made those. We linked it up. Gave them all ty types of problem, and it's it's when the system works really well. And I agree, we were not going after the three or four goals. We're happy to sort of sit back, play calm, put ten men behind the ball, actually, and and, and just play our style of football. Yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. 100%. It's kind of how championship winning sides do things. Whenever you look at great Premier League sides that have won the title down the years, okay, yes, they'll have the odd massive five six nil victory, but they're very content just to you know the sides that come to you know, let's use Man United old school Man United for an example and your Blackburns your Wiggins your Boltons they came to Old Trafford it was 2 3 nil, one. it was always just comfortable very rarely rampant and, yeah. and it seems to be the way that 
Fulham have adopted it right now. Agreed, but they didn't play a possession-based style of football. This is more akin to a kind of Napoli-esque, the way that Sarri's teams work and, and wear teams down by just going left, right, left, right, left, right. And by 70 minutes, Sheffield United, let's go back to it. <laughs> by 70 minutes, those teams can't walk. Never mind Chase. Well, it, like, it looked like the today... Leeds sometimes looked like they were time-wasting with 10 minutes to go because I think they were just <laughs> trying to take small breaks in order to get their breath back so that they could put together effective attacks. No one can cope when Fulham play the way they can. and In fact, we, we should give Holloway some credit because we, we've slagged him off often this, on this show and, and rightly so because he's often an absolute moron when it comes to tactic <laughs> advice. And, and <laughs> how, do you, how do you really feel? But... He played, he played a really good game against, mm-hmm. against Fulham. And whether that was intentional or not, I, I, I'm loath to admit. <laughs> but that sitting behind for a half and then pressing a second half is the only thing that's really seen Fulham under pressure this season. And okay, since the turn of Fulham's form, shall we say. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's you know, a credit to him. And without being funny, if teams like you know the likes of Millwall, the likes of... You know, not Brentford who actually play football, I suppose, but, but those kind of teams who are going to look to stifle Fulham in the next couple, next kind of couple of weeks and, and, and months need to need to really adapt the Holloway template if they're going to do it and try and try and sit back for forty five minutes, try not to let Fulham work their way through. That's harder than it is, you know, it's harder done than it is said, because you know Fulham are good, but ultimately that kind of hold them off for forty five minutes and then press them to the nth is the only thing that's ever seen us kind of really rocking this season I'd say uh, since the turn anyway. tactics aside though games are decided sometimes on very small parts of the match as a whole Lydia and, and, and nothing is more evident of that than Fulham's second goal I think there cannot be even 30 seconds between Bettinelli's exceptional save uh, from Caleb Ekuban it was lovely, well lovely. pronounced mm-hmm. thank well you pronounced. <laughs> But good work from Leeds, and he, he gets a one-on-one, and Bettinelli gets a brilliant pour to it, and then just so quick down the other end of the pitch, and great work from Mitro, from Kearney, back to Mitro, and it's a low finish, and moments like that to find games, and maybe in a wider context to find seasons. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that, but if you if you look very carefully at, at Jukanovic's pre-match notes at his you know his press conferences he's constantly talking about playing smart football and I think that's exactly what that was it was about knowing when to strike and you know we can we can talk about playing the pep way we can talk about um you know controlling teams and you know being with a, a boxer type style but at the end of the day what Jukanovic has has instilled in those players is a real intelligence and I think that you know, we, we can combine this, we can talk about tearing t- teams out, which we undoubtedly do, but it's more about, for me, about knowing when to strike and knowing exactly when to go full throttle, which is exactly what, what we did tonight. We saw an, an opportunity after that save, which inspired that, that break, it did. I mean, that, you know, without that save, you're looking at one all going into the last, I don't know, 25 minutes or so. Um, and that that could have changed things. And and for all that we kind of uh, jibe Leeds about there are bigger ways of port and stuff. When when a team like Leeds gets a goal in the second half and you have six thousand very noisy fans, you you got to give it to Leeds. They do always yeah. create noise. Scarves, the it would, it, 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 would have, it yeah. would have been a real situation. <laughs> I don't for think us. anyone doubts that. Like, I don't think that's a. No, it's the fact that they then think that having 6,000 fans to every game... <laughs> 3,000 of their fans live in London. Another 2,000 of their fans, another 2,000 of fans live in Bristol. They're an ex-big team that have fans all over the country. Not 6,000 fans have not travelled from Leeds today. That is not a thing. And that's what they seem to think happens. I guarantee you that 6,000 people will not be on that last train to Leeds. There was a, I mean, there was a few today. There was a few in the train. I will give give them that, but <laughs> there'll be some. There'll be. I say half of their support today would have come from Leeds. Fair play. Three thousand is a big number, and they should be given credit for that. And then three thousand of It's just the way I think that they do. They betray it in this way to be. And, and to be fair to them, the one thing I will say to fair because I have a good Northern Irish friend who's a lead supporter, and last year oh, I have to say I watched <laughs> Tom, <laughs> Tom Kearney. I'm sorry, I ruined him. I watched Tom Kearney's master strike. 
against Leeds last year from the middle of a bunch of Leeds supporters, and I was the only person who jumped up and screamed and then just very <laughs> quietly sat back down. It was pretty special to watch the scarves, to watch the singing, you know, give them credit for that, but it doesn't, but it doesn't entitle them to promotion. You know, there's a sense of entitlement. Um, back to <laughs> sorry, I've, I've completely <laughs> back to affairs on the pitch. And uh, McDonald uh, after the game said uh, it was all Bettinelli, the mm. win on, and the second goal. All the credit uh, for that second goal goes to him, and he then does confirm that it does come off his ass. Uh, <laughs> what, what a guy! It comes off his ass. It comes off the ass. My arse. McDonald. It comes off his. Um, he needs a great massage tonight, I think, right there. He needs to, that helped. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a proposal. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if his uh, if his wife would be very happy with that, but I think uh, you know. Um, some slightly strange subs from Slav. Main one being Norwood coming on for Aite when we're two 0 up. I then spent the next five minutes trying to bore my dad to death with what tactic we were playing I couldn't really work out where we were but I mean and and how many uh, Hollywood passes did uh, Norwood fancy put a couple but they all came off today nearly all okay nearly all I I don't mind that when Ollie does when Ollie does it right I have no problem with Ollie doing it what formation were we playing though I still don't know what we're (laughs) I think we we went to a diamond what so Kearney on the right well, a very narrow diamond. Right, okay. I think we went Cess and Micho up top. Actually, that's a lie. I don't think we did that. I think we went Micho and Johansson up top. I think Steph played off Micho. Okay. And then Steph played on the left, Kearney on the right. Uh, and then Steph played up on kind of like the left of it, Norwood on the right. And Kearney was supposed to play within it. But I think it was almost more like a Kearney dropped back between the two. So like a very, very narrow 4-1-3-2, if you will. I wish everyone could just watch... <laughs> The, the, the crowd of faces right now watching Jack trying to describe this because just look of puzzled mysticism at what's going on. So right once now. Fulham used to play where under uh, under the uh, I think it was under Paul Bracewell, right, right in in nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Fulham okay. played a thing that was called the Christmas pudding, which basically was four and then just four really tight players in midfield, okay, and then another one in front of and then like almost like a line. But yeah, just with, that, with, I feel like that was an accident. Yeah, almost <laughs> certainly was because Paul Bracewell hasn't had a career in management, <laughs> but it kind of just was this weird thing where they just lumped loads of players who played centre midfield in the middle and then just let them chase because they were all quite quick. And that's almost what we did. We had Steph sort of running around behind Micho, everyone else kind of tucked in. And we just sort of tried to dominate the centre of the pitch. I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world, especially with the fullbacks that we have. Because what happened was, inevitably, Target and Fredericks ended up moving out onto the wings. And everyone sort of then just dropped in to support them. What I can't understand is then where Thomas Callas jumped into the mix. Like then, then it then it went full outside of my control. Slav weird. Yeah, I, I was I was completely baffled. But fortunately, it didn't really look like Leeds were going to breakthrough there was a couple of iffy moments here and there I thought Leeds had the makings they looked like a decent side at times they've always looked like a decent side this season the problem is that they haven't done it consistently but also they've had such a um, discipline problem as well and it must have had about five six games in a row where they had almost a red card every single week because Saez Saez or however you say his name I mean he was absolutely exquisite every time he yeah. touched the ball tonight but I mean he was off for three games for the spitting incident six, six games six yeah games. so I mean you, you see you lose someone like that you imagine losing Kearney for six games due to a you know an, an act of stupidity mm. what that would do to Fulham and then also Leeds have a few holes in their defense that cause problems as well they've had a lot of injuries there were seven Leeds players missing tonight I don't think all of them would have started look, you look the likes of Stuart Dallas who played left back yeah, it's kind that, of mad that did not work well it didn't oh, not, it didn't work you're right but it didn't also cause untold problems he did a good job there and, and realistically Dallas is a good player and we've seen that time and time again at the cottage unfortunately um, but he don't remind us <laughs> he has done a job he did a job there tonight and he wasn't you weren't like, oh, Dallas did really well, but also it was equally, you weren't like, oh, Dallas was a fault for anything really major. It's a bit of a strange one because I think we all expect, well, if you'd have looked back in January and you'd have looked at key matches this season, I think we'd have all probably thought this game against Leeds would be a massive crunch match and that Leeds would 
be in and around the playoff chase. They've had a terrible run of form uh, since Christmas. I think actually... It's twin wins or something. 2018, if it had started on New Year's Day, the league table, Leeds would be, if not in the bottom three, then almighty close with some terrible teams down there with the likes of Sunderland, Burton, Barnsley who can't buy a win. Um, it oh, was the God. third time that Paul Heckenbottom lost to Fulham this season. Really? Yeah. Because he was in charge of Barnsley for both games that we won against wow. them and oh, then he yeah. comes to the cottage again today and uh, oh. three out of three. It's not and that's <laughs> six in a row for Slava's unbeaten in six appearances against Leeds now that's uh, what we yeah. just well it'd been five draws in a row against Leeds uh, up until today uh, if you want some more stats as well we are four off beating <laughs> Man City's unbeaten record in England for the season so yeah. City went 22 unbeaten and we're now 18 so not too many more to go I can just see that ending just before it happens <laughs> against Millwall it will um, uh, another player who played quite well tonight for Leeds was uh, Alioski who mm. did very well and although was absolutely criminal to be offside when he scored. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely yeah. criminal. How, you how on earth position? you have not like, played the trap when yeah. you are, you have, what, 30 metres around you? Yeah. But aside from that, was actually very good. Very, uh, very lively. What do we just say? 22, so we're at 18 right now. Yeah. So Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, Brentford, and then the Millwall, mm-hmm. and then Sunderland. So it is the Millwall game to equal the record. There we go. That's right, because Matt, I got Brentford before that. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got plenty of games before we could really start worrying. Um, we've got plenty to talk about on tonight's podcast, so let's move on pretty swiftly, because coming up after the break, we're going to be looking back uh, at Good Friday's Norwich game. So we'll talk about that in a second. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here in Nathan's living room with Lydia Campbell, Jack Collins, Hola. and Nathan Martin himself. Yeah. How are we doing? Yeah, good. Good, good. Goodbye. You enjoying that red wine, Jack? It's a Chianti, I think. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we, were, we were discussing Jack's childhood during the break, but we we, sh- we we probably shouldn't go too far down the rabbit hole. But <laughs> listening to Jack, little Jack, having his notes of Fulham matches, he, we've basically decided he's the Nick Hornby of Fulham. So weird is the word you're looking for. Um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I, can, I can feel a bit like Hannibal Lecter with Chianti. Fulhamish has never been so sophisticated as it is tonight. No, I know. You're spot on. I feel very glad. I've got like a glass and two fingers. I feel like um... we normally record. Honestly. We normally record Fulhamish in this tiny little studio, surrounded by cans. bits of yeah, bits of junk, <laughs> drinking beer cans, and then going to a Weatherspoons afterwards. So it, it's it's moved up in the world, and I, for one, am really happy about it. Don't bet. You're you're always welcome to to come to the alternative studios. So. Is it? We've got a new studio now, lads. So we're, uh, we're moving in permanently. I'll have to tell my missus about that one. So, um, so Norwich on Good Friday. Uh, myself, Nathan and Jack made the trip. Lydia, you, you didn't uh, No, I, where, I can't even remember where I was on Friday. No, I was not. Well, I was back at home. I was in Belfast, so mm. I was not able to attend. I mean, it is um, it's family time Easter. It is hard yeah. to, uh, you know, be... I took uh, the big man. He did. We met the met, met met Colin Senior father. Yeah, you can't oh, tell that. The, you can't tell oh. the difference. That's really quite mean. <laughs> and that's like fifty. No, you. you <laughs> that's you, really horrible. You, your brother, and your dad are identical. And your cousin? I thought, yeah, no. I thought you looked all very like. Cousin. De- my cousin, cousin and your brother are like twins. Oh, you are twins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. Um, so we all went up to Carra Road, and it, what an away day it was! Uh, it was a packed house uh, of Fulham fans. Uh, we were in the Prince of Wales pub. You can check out all this on the uh, on the on the vlog on the YouTube channel. And it was just a really really good away day, Absolutely wasn't it? And note. made all the better by a very very dominant performance on the pitch. Yeah, we were very very good, and uh, we. In the first, we actually that's that's not completely true. In the first half, we were very very average. In the second half, we were very very good. The first half was just a bad game of football. Yeah. I we thought, looked, rather than us being particularly passive or anything else like that, we looked like we were, had a, an international break hangover. And the good news is that Norwich had one too. Um, but ultimately, we were able to shake ours off. And, you know, have a couple of neurofens at half time and, <laughs> and get rid of it. Oh, and they couldn't. And and we took two killer blows, like you said earlier. 
But to be fair, I also think there's something we said of like Norwich as a ground, beautiful ground, really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay. It's a reasonable place. <laughs> Lovely people. Nicest police officers I think I've ever... J- Jack's father had a bit of a chat with them as we were walking up. Very, very lovely people. Full ground, but just felt damp. It felt like just dead. Everyone just seemed a bit apathetic. And actually, I think the team as well, like, you know, they just don't have a lot to play for right now. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to get relegated. They're kind of a middle-of-the-road club that just has lost a bit of enthusiasm, a lot of bit of energy. And then didn't they lose to QPR the other night yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. they're just kind of, they've lost their way a bit, and they're just kind of seeing, they're biding their time and, you know, seeing at the end of the year. When you play a team like that, it's sometimes hard to get the three points, but it's kind of a mark of the team this year is that we, we did. But it, it was quite um, a dour performance from mm-hmm. Norwich on the pitch. It was so negative. That yeah. was the one thing I couldn't get over. Yeah, it, you know, for me it seemed, you know, and I, I, I've watched the game back and I've, um, you know, I've, I've read up about it. It just seemed that there was nothing inspiring happening at all, um, particularly in the in, in the first half. It seemed that no one was really willing to take the game by the by the scruff of the neck. No but I can see why do it. I can see why Fulham might be nervous. But you know, Fulham have got a lot to chase. Yeah. But if you're not actually 14, if you're not going up, you're not going down. Have a go. Yeah, have a bit of freedom. Yeah, I think I think whenever I, I listened to the the interview that you did last week with um, oh with Jack yeah, yeah and and he he had sort of said that you know the North supporters were wait, wanting something inspirational mm. from um for, from from the team to sort of commit to this you know rebuilding process mm. that, that, that that's going on it seems that that is not happening at all the minute at Norwich and I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I kind of feel a wee bit for them. I think this transitional period is turned turned into a wee bit of a damp squid a wee bit. Well, yeah, they're in a difficult place at the moment. I think with there's not much money in the club, mm. uh, and and Jack explained to me, you know, that they've got the highest season ticket prices in the league, and when you're kind of playing high season ticket prices, it's kind of the Arsenal effect of they expect to be competing in the transfer market, and when you're paying high season ticket prices and no money's going into the team, you're thinking. Where's my money going here? Because, mm-hmm. but obviously they're just not got a rich. You know, we're very lucky actually at Fulham to have such a wealthy backer that is backs us as far as he can push us within the bounds of the rules. Well, you know, Richard Osman was on Talksport this morning talking about how this kind of we, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> uh, he was talking about how this kind of period was. Uh, due to both a synergy between the manager and the you know higher echelons of the club and how you know while it hasn't been smooth sailing all the time credit must be given to you know those higher up Tony Khan and the boys who have you know ultimately made mistakes yes agreed but they have tried to see it through with the kind of purchases that have have been trying to sort of push us forward and even if those purchases haven't you know worked out look at the likes of Hoifon who, you know, isn't necessarily a, you know, Fulham player. And and this is, you know, I, I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good footballer. But he hasn't necessarily fit the system, and that's fine. But they're willing to kick a gamble on him. And they've put the money in and gone, OK, fine. And from the amount that Slavisa has played him, especially ahead of Kamara, who was obviously signed as a stat signing, he seems to be something that Slavisa maybe wanted. It hasn't worked out, agreed. But they put their money where their mouth was in that kind of respect. And... There is some luck involved, and look at the Mitrovic thing. You know, there is luck involved in what you need. But ultimately, they we've had a, a, a kind of owner and a management team who have really looked to back the club when it mattered. And yes, we're not going out spending eleven million pounds on Jordan much, but do you know what I mean. <laughs> QPR are about to get hit with the biggest transfer fine in history hmm. because. Tony, Man- Tony Fernandez spent far too much money on the likes of Jordan March. Like, do I want that? No. Do I want us to spend eleven million pounds on Cameron Jerome? No. no. No, I don't want to do that at all. Like, I'd rather us take a bunt. But it was, you know, you look at the high echelons and, and Norwich. You know, the Norwich are a good club. They're all right. Like, no one now has any. No one has a real beef with Norwich above Mipswich. Like, they just hate each other. No one else really cares. And Colchester. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Peterborough United. But it was like one of those ones where, 
you know, you have no real issue with Norwich. You know, they can't beat, they can't seem to beat us for love nor money. And I'm glad I'm saying that post rather than pre game. No, I felt like <laughs> but... I felt like I jinxed it a little bit in my pre match with Jack, and I mentioned it. And I remember as I was saying about the record, I was thinking I shouldn't Risky. be saying this. But coming on to the game quickly, um, there were two very good movements in the second half that resulted in the goals. But the big key moment I think of the game was the substitution mm. of Cess for Ayite, which at the time I thought was the wrong sub. I mm. thought that it should have been Piazon because he was pretty ineffective throughout the night. He was blowing hard. <laughs> yeah, it looked like he was absolutely shot. But but Cess came on and although he wasn't directly involved in the goals, just his presence on the pitch seemed to terrify the Norwich defence and made things happen, Nath. He did. And it was it was very odd because I, I think I leaned over to Sammy and I was like, oh dear, now Cess is going to come on, we're going to win, and all Channel 5 will be able to talk about it again will be how great Cess is. And to be fair, you know, Cess wasn't extraordinary, but he just seemed to open things up a little bit. And all of a sudden, Mitrovic was getting the ball a bit more. You know, there were spaces, there were gaps for Johansson to run into, for Kenny to run into. And in the sort of lead up to the goal, I... I think we watched it with a friend during halftime today. You sort of, the ball moves around. He hits it into Mitrovic. Mitrovic just kind of nods it down. And Johansson, you know, buries it. And it's one of those sort of the subtle impacts where Sess is one of those players. Just actually what I love about Mitrovic is you, you don't have to see them for periods of the game, but they do the right things and they make everyone else around them better. And that's just such something you can't coach or teach and they have you know even tonight Sess appeared at this right place and he hit Mitrovic in the stomach with his shot but you can go non-existent for a bit but he's doing the right thing and I think you know in the Norwich game it seemed to unlock other things a catalyst for other players to segue back to today's game on, mm. on that point well, I had a friend with me today who's a Liverpool fan and he he's been he was like I'm expecting loads loads of things from Sess and the first thing he said to me about 30 minutes in he was like Sess doesn't really carry the ball he was like, he doesn't run with the ball. I was, from everything that everyone's been saying, I was expecting him to be the kind of player that gets the ball, takes on defenders, you know. And I was like, he's not that kind of player. Mm. He's not, you know, everyone, he was like, everyone's talking about him in relation to Gareth Bale. Was like, he's not that kind of player. Hasn't ever been that kind of player. He's getting that comparison because he scored a lot of goals from left back. But it goes back to that whole point we were saying, you know, months ago about him being a bit more like Thomas Muller than anyone else mm, that exactly. I've ever seen. Oh, I love that comparison. It's a great comparison and it deserves massive credit. Um, but it's it is one of those things where he is not a player that looks... He, he spins off, he disappears. The whole... You know, Adidas, I remember doing a campaign years back about... Um, they did a thing called The Search and the whole thing was about Messi being the spark and it was about all these players. And, and one of the ones that always stuck with me is they had Bastian Schweinsteiger mm. as the magician. And his thing was, he disappears and before you know it, he's behind you and it's a goal. And that that's exactly how I feel about Cesc. All he does, he doesn't look to get the ball, beat four players and score. He'll like, like peel off disappear he'll, he'll, he'll back off almost he'll, he'll disappear a little bit and then before you know it he's quick enough over 10 yards to be behind you in the box before you've even noticed that he's come past you there was a couple of moments today even where the ball didn't make it to him but I just remember noticing oh if that makes it Sessegnon is in acres and no one's picking him up no one's seen him no one's even like being aware that he's found two yards of space and it, yeah okay the ball didn't make it there but yeah I, I like that. It doesn't matter if the ball doesn't make it. If he's in the right positions, time, 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 time and time again, he will score goals because the ball will eventually make it to him. Um, Lydia, let's discuss Steffi Hansen, <laughs> King Stefan. A great stat from uh, Playmaker Stats, who... I don't know who Playmaker Stats are. They occasionally yeah. just tweet us <laughs> with <laughs> random stats. I believe your man's a Fulham fan, so shout out to Playmaker Stats. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Steffi Hansen is the top scoring midfielder in the championship if you take the last two seasons into account. Uh, he got a lovely goal against mm-hmm. um, against Norwich. Yep. Today, though, a little bit lucky to stay on the pitch. Yeah, I think he's very lucky. I think he um, <laughs> that tackle was not only completely stupid, it was completely unnecessary. We had other players coming back um, if any of our listeners haven't seen it yet, um, basically, as uh, I'm not sure who the Leeds player was, but he was charging through, but he was quite wide. You know, there was other players making it back. We were 2-0 up, 
and he just sliced his legs away. I mean, just, like, what was the point in that? And do you know what? I could see him eat. I could practically see him thinking about going for it. I was thinking, oh no, please don't, please don't. And before I'd known it, he, had, he flattened the guy. Snapped it. And I just, but there was no need for it. And I can understand why the Leeds players actually got so pissed off at it. I could, you know, I could see them charging at him, and I thought, you know what? I think he deserves that. He nearly, he gets nearly gets into a fight every single yeah. game. I love it. I love it too. I've over here just salivating. No, but you know Your what? man <laughs> has watched Scott Brown. He has watched the master of this <laughs> game you know time and time again, and he is. Producing Scott Brown-esque performances in the middle of the pitch every game. I love it. Do you know what Absolutely I actually thought tonight, Jack? I was like, he learned all that nastiness at Celtic Park. That's what I thought. He learned <laughs> all, all that at Celtic. <laughs> learned it all at Celtic. Can I ask a question, though? Because two, two questions. The first, well, the first is a point, and the second is a question. The, the point is that I think there's something really important about a bit of nastiness under control. And I am, I we play, Sandy, Sandy and I play Sunday League football, and so we experience our share of nastiness we try to we try to play Sunday yeah, yeah we tried to we won for the first time in two years yeah. <laughs> the same boring we've heard it before yeah, yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> I'm still icing my ankle because of that nastiness but the point being is that actually even Steph's tackle tonight I thought there's something he said of that he sets a tempo and a tone of like yes it's a yellow card but from where we were sitting we, you know, it, it, I didn't think it would ever be a red and it sort of reminded the rest of the team that look we're not going to let up yeah we're 2-0 up but I'm going to set the tone of that we're still going to be an enforcer. We're not going to give you anything easy. And I I don't mind it quite as much, which gets to the sort of second point of this sort of like the emotional soul of Fulham and where Johansson fits. So, Jack, can you give me, as an American, a concise definition of shithousery? Because, <laughs> you know, tying it back to Norwich, it was a beautiful display. Uh, just that uh, the key word being concise here. Oh, I can't do concise. 20 minutes later. <laughs> so you're, you're warming the boy up. Absolutely. So we're about we to start. He's had a, glass, had a glass of wine now, a couple of pints. A medium essay later. <laughs> Jack's dissertation took me 18 for his PhD. Can't wait for the Collins column this week. The Collins column. A, a concise definition of shithousery. It's, it's done. Um, it's, you know, I mean, done. Absolutely. But look, it, I think it comes from... There, there are a couple of examples I'm going to use here. One, there's a couple of examples of shithousery. One, Kevin McDonald's goal against... Barnsley <laughs> pure shithousery that is shithousery in its purest form okay right a goal mouth scramble where it comes off like the top of his head to go into the box another one is kind of you know getting getting not fouled okay which will happen against Norwich where the, the first tackle from Harrison Reed on Steph Joe not a foul at all but then managing to fall on the ball the ref is saying play on and instead of just retrieving the ball from under him and just carrying on with a counter attack which is exactly what Harrison Reed should have done he just boots Steph and, and Steph has what he's done there is he's won a foul from no foul just by being sort of around the ball and not letting up that's great shithousery and the best shit has of all is Steph getting up, winding up the Fulham fans. And then and then Norwich players getting really annoyed and James Madison trying to slap him. <laughs> winding up an opposition's the opposition's best player by, you know, basically using horribly like useless time wasting tactics and then riding one of their lesser players to, you know, make a stupid decision. And you can see James Madison's head. The only person he's angry with is Harrison Reed for not just getting the ball and releasing him, but actually just doing something stupid. And Madison loses his head. That shit has in you know in in perfection, if you will. Um, well, did you did you see the debate that some of the Norwich hat fans they they quote retweeted the gif of Steph Joe winding <laughs> up the Fulham fans and they were having a debate about how they need more nastiness in their sides. Exactly, they were saying how yeah. they really respected what Steph Joe did and they wished there was a bit of that in their team. So I was going to come on to this point because until Mitrovic joined this club, right, all everyone had been saying was Fulham need to be nastier. They yeah. need to be nastier. They need a bit of grit. They need a bit of goal. I think Steph's been released. By the fact that he knows the fact that if someone tries to punch him, Mitch is going to kill them. <laughs> well, that's true. It's like Street Fighter or something. You got your yeah, second, once you know someone's got your back, you're like, okay, it's all right for me to go flying into tacklers <laughs> because if someone nuts me, Mitrovic is going to kill them. <laughs> he's going to go straight through them like a light bulb. Like he, he's, he's you're saying Tim Ream is not that intimidating. No, I'm, I'm saying he's not, and, and because because. 
I think that Steph knows that the whole team have been given a bit of like grit and, and steel by the introduction of Mitch, which I think he's been freed to kind of be that like wind-up merchant. And, and, and because obviously Kevin McDonald is far too sensible to do that and Tom Kearney is far too precious. And, and, and that's right, Steph should be the one flying into tackles. He should be the one picking up yellow cards. And yes, I think Steph is invaluable and his contribution is magnificent. But he's also the most easily replaceable of the three. And not in the long-term sense, but in a, in, in a kind of, if Steph gets sent off on two yellow cards, that's fine. We'll put Ollie in for a game. Ollie's yeah. ground. I yeah, like I Ollie a lot. Like, if we lose Tom Kearney for a game, Ollie comes in and, and then Steph has to be the 10. And Steph's not very good at being the 10 because it's not what his natural thing mm-hmm. is. And if, if we lose K-Mac, then we lose the kind of leader of the team who actually directs things about. But Steph's kind of been freed by that kind of, you know, ability to just lose his shit around the park, basically, and just do his kind of game. And I, I honestly do think that he is very much like learning from the likes of Scott Brown. Not Scott Brown is is my example because I keep going back to it, but it's it's the one I can use best. But he is that kind of eight between the six and the ten, and he really does link those kind of players because he's the all action one that is kind of more easily replaced in the short term and what he does is he allows those two players to thrive in their natural positions by just being all action Kev shouldn't have got booked today he made a silly tackle right and it, in fact I think he should Kev, have booked Kev no no it was, it was a yellow card I think Kev is the person that was more lucky to stay on the field oh yeah I agree because his tackle was high it was and bad. it was dangerous whereas Steph's tackle was a bit reckless but actually, he was miles off, yeah, yeah. and his his feet were down. He didn't go in high. He didn't, you know, it was a bit of a silly tackle because there is a question of being last man when you're always flying across like that when there are players coming back to cover you. But but Kevin McDonald's tackle is the one that's dangerous. Completely yeah, I, agree. Thought, I actually thought I thought K Mac was was going off. But I did too. There seems to be some sort of better mental edge about Fulham, and these it just we seem to be clinically putting teams away. And as good as we were last season, Lydia, I just think that is the difference in twelve months between the the class of 16 17 and now this class of 17 18 there just seems to be something up here yeah i mean for for me it seems to be that there is that cutting edge if if you want to think about it like that i mean we, as as we've already mentioned earlier on tonight we haven't done the you know the five nils this, this season and i think that um we've needed to win I don't want to say dirty because ugly. it's not ugly. Yeah, u- ugly is the be- the better term for it. We've had to do that at times, but I think that you know when you think of all the historic teams who have who have um, have won championships or have have um, have won promotion, they've had to win like that at times. And don't get me wrong, I love the winding people up side of Steph Joe. But I don't like the cynical side of it. That's that's just it's one thing I personally don't like. I have a, a big background of play, of playing hockey. And when I was at uni, I was the wind up merchant. I'll be honest, I was that person. But I didn't Things that want shock me to... <laughs> Yeah, you you'd be surprised once I, I across the white line, shall we say. White but but at the same place. time at the same time, I didn't overstep the mark. And I think that Steph was potentially going in to overstep in the mark. I thought that cynical tackle he made was unnecessary. And to me, it didn't even... I think he just wanted to take him down. And I didn't like that. But at the same time, I do completely appreciate that we need that mental grit and we need the the the, the, the Mitrovic with it. Do you know what I mean? We need that sort of, I will run through a brick wall for you to win. And, and we need that to, to win promotion. But Steph's never been sent off. Has he not? As it, well, it hasn't for Fulham anyway. For Fulham. Yeah, no, sorry. No, I mean, he's never been sent off for Fulham. No. He's his national team captain. Mm-hmm. This is a man who can obviously shoulder responsibility, yes. It's a bit of... He's learnt the dark arts. Yeah, Actually, yeah. can you remember a game where he really mastered it? Was Barnsley away? How he just completely wound up Cavare. And actually, that was quite a big turning point, that game, where where we'd, we'd started a little bit of a run, but... You know, was this going to turn into something special? We were one nil down away at Barnsley. Uh, their fans were quite up for it, and he fully wound up Cavare for absolutely nothing on the forty-fifth minute. And then he goes sh- sh- uh, jumping into Steph Joe. I think he like kind of slightly kind of it was half punch, half headbutt. Yeah. It, was, it was just a yeah, moment of madness. That. But Steph knew what he was doing, and and it's absolutely. And, and sometimes you need a player like that in your team. Mm. 
Here's a question for you. So Mitrovic has been here how many games now? Uh, we may, he must be look, yeah, he must be looking at a dozen. It's like now. maybe two yellow cards in that time, one yellow card. Yeah. So it's like something it to be said. It's something to yeah. be said for Mitrovic in terms of you know the the balance, the yin and the yang. Where He's I think there's something, his temper. Yeah, but I also think there's something to be said of that. There are other players that do a bit of that sort of enforcer role. So your point about Steph Joe can be that enforcer because Mitrovic has got his back. I think Mitrovic as well, and I think Slav's great for Mitrovic. But I think Mitrovic doesn't feel like he needs to be the enforcer at the top because he's got other people that can do it. And he's so he's not just not getting yellow cards. He's not doing stupid things. He's getting balled over. He's getting knocked out a bit. But and, and yeah, he comes up and we see him swaggering around the pitch like a you know a World <laughs> Wrestling Federation um, heel as we were discussing earlier. But he's playing with a lot of control. And I just keep hearing you know everyone that says, "Oh, Mitrovic, wait till he gets the head, but wait till he gets the red card." I'm not seeing any of it. I mean, even when he's getting choked, I watched the QPR highlights the other day. He was properly being held down and choked, and he still, you know, kept his cool, mm-hmm. kept his calm. And it's impressive. There's sort of a yin and yang in Fulham right now, and it's it's a really lovely thing to see. It is easy to control your temper, though, when you are 18 unbeaten. There is yes. something yes, about of course. losing that kind of but, but makes being, people see the red But he's being chipped. You know, think yeah, about but, Sheffield United. Sheffield United came after him early. They knock him in the head in the first half, yeah. and he comes back and, and scores two absolute mm. beauties. So, I mean, yeah, you, it's easy to say we're winning, but I mean, he's being targeted game after game, and maybe he's such a professional, but... I'd let it get under my skin a bit. He, a lot. People have tried to wind him up yeah. clearly as well, and he, he hasn't bitten. And I, but I think that Slav has yeah, done that. Yeah, I agree. Slav has done that. Serbian. Yeah. Um, just before we answer some questions, uh, a quick nod to Saturday's game uh, against Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. Uh, we seem to have picked a slightly poor time uh, to play the Wednesday. To, to be facing Wednesday, mm. they've had a, a terrible season, a, a remarkably, and, and actually. I do kind of look at Wednesday this season and I do sometimes think this could have been Fulham. A few mm. results go the other way at key points in the season and I, I, look, I, I look at Wednesday, not a bad team at all, had a good manager under Carverhow and they, and they seem to have a, uh, a not bad replacement now. But, you know, they've just had some terrible, terrible results this season. But they've picked up. They've got a 2-1 win away at Leeds a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then a brilliant Easter weekend for them. A 4-1 home victory over Preston. In fairness, that result does them no end of justice given the actual response. They were 2-1 up. Preston hit the bar. And then they scored two goals in injury time. Yeah, I, I, I realised, <laughs> yeah, the scoreline flatters. But still, it's a, it's a good result. And no, then, of course, yeah, of course. But Preston I mean, were a good side, but they, yeah, look, they looked a bit out of sorts. Um, yeah. I, I watched it back the other day, and it was a, an odd game of football. Yeah. And, uh, because Preston should have had a stonewall penalty. And then they got uh, a win at the stadium of three points up in the northeast. Oh yeah, everyone wins there. <laughs> everyone. Honestly, everyone. I don't. I can't name a team that hasn't won at Sunderland this year. Mm, yeah, no, I can't think of anything. Uh, so they face Fulham on Saturday at Hillsborough. In the form that we're showing right now, it should be one that we're going up and winning. I, I just can't see any other outcome apart from I still have this inner Fulham in me that refuses to go into games thinking this is an easy win yeah it's it's one of those games that I really don't like <laughs> unfortunately I, I mean I don't know if we have any Sheffield Wednesday um, listeners but I'll be honest I find them a very boring football club and I think that one of the so problems like one of the problems with a club like that is whenever you go and play against them you cannot play your own game at all and yeah. you know what fair, fair play it works but I just it's one of those ones I mean the, the, the reverse fixture at the cottage earlier in the season oh, was so horrendous and you're just like we can't play our own game we can't and I, I don't know. I, I I don't like it. I I just I don't like when we have to go to Hillsborough at all. Is our only, is our only win over Sheffield Wednesday the one last season when it didn't matter? Potentially, but yeah, Atty New is so. in great form as well. So. Suddenly, suddenly have like a six foot four striker who is playing football like he's you know God's gift to mankind. He's you know he's not just scoring headers. Your man is taking the ball in the corner flag beating two men mm. you know and then and then just curling on top bins yeah. like he is not the kind of you know you player that you'd expect to be doing that and suddenly he's got this new lease of life Fernando Fustieri's back he's came on a score at the weekend good player you know but, but you know so I would I, I am I, I grew up supporting teams in, in Mississippi and in DC where I lived 
we, we always found ways to lose. I can give you a litany of, of those teams. So, so Fulham was Jesus, the natural, no Fulham was the natural choice when I moved over to the UK. <laughs> and even tonight with Leeds, you know, I knew we should, should win, but I still felt nervous. With Sheffield Wednesday, the one thing that I sort of feel consolation, because I was at the reverse fixture, you know, that was a dreadful, really horrible game to watch. Yeah. But you know what the, the thing that I do sort of take consolation is, is is we've got two players that are here, actually three, but but two in particular, Tom Kearney, he was not there. We really missed him in that game against Sheffield Wednesday the first time. We just missed that person that could sort of unlock those boring teams, as you say. And the other person is Mitrovic. You need someone that's going to bully, that's going to push them around. And so, you know, those are the people, you know, and then Matty Target, we obviously love Matty. But, you know, I, I feel like if we get settled down, just like we did tonight, if Tom's doing his thing, if he's kind of bossing it, moving around, you get that partnership in the middle, I think we'll be fine, even if I'm better form. But yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. And with Fulham... Bring back Neeskins. Yeah, of the last year's heroics. Yeah, get Niskins Cabano back at Hillsborough. <laughs> Give that man an intro. The weird thing, looking at Sheffield Wednesday, only one player for them has played has started over thirty games, and that's Adam Reach with thirty nine. Good player. The Just rest of them are all in are all in twenties. They've had so many players play mm-hmm. football for them. In yeah. fact, they've had. 32 different players I think the new fella didn't particularly like the old fella's game as they say Uh, and Lahuke tried to especially when he came in um, they were he came in he said to the fans he's like give me some time I'm going to bed the youth in and eventually he's come back to eventually he's come back to kind of the standard if you will the standard kind of players and the likes of Forestieri and you know Nui who obviously were and, and Lucas Joao who caused us no end of problems when he came here with Blackburn last season obviously that was a real moment where they we thought we'd thrown it away when he scored that equaliser for Blackburn he scored eight since I think since uh, Lukeke take over mm-hmm. and nui has got something like seven in six yeah he that you know those are a strike force renewed and with Forestieri behind them you know, Ballon behind that reach. They're a good side. They've got good players. I remember, doing, I remember doing the Sheffield Wednesday po- a preview earlier in the season and we looked at their attackers and we were looking at our summer signings and yeah. still questioning about it and thinking, God, what we do for Sheffield Wednesday's firepower. What would have done yeah. for Gary Hooper at that time? Can I just make one aside? Because I want to give Lydia a bit of credit here. <laughs> um, the chap on Twitter who's amazing about posting clips of... Fulham games yeah. yeah we all know him just posted the Steph Joe challenge yeah I just watched it and it's, if it's you, not even a yellow oh come on no that's <laughs> it, I, I, I was a strong defender We, you know you've heard my defense earlier that is a horrible challenge that is a horrible challenge it's nasty and, I mean and he gets know, nothing of the ball there's no way he's even I mean, getting close Kev to the ball it's not a red like, it's not a red but it wasn't na- yeah well I, I don't uh, think it was a red either I no, just, it's just I didn't it, like that side yeah of it. I agree so anyway we can go back to discussing <laughs> Chef Owens I just want to give Lydia game respects <laughs> game of Lydia's sort of game management better you can't that person down last year Fulham would have let that bloke you let last year Fulham yeah, would have let that bloke run free and Fulham, and they would have scored. This year Fulham cut him down. I'm, I'm, I'm fully in the camp, Jack. I'm a hundred percent in the we play lovely football and nothing, you know, gets me like happier than when Fulham play like football that like you know, defies expectation. You like that took my breath away. And things like earlier on when Ken did that thing where he flicked the flicked the ball oh. over someone and just pinged on the volley oh, a pass out to Cessna and you're like, I just I live for this. You know, inject it. But it, it's just one of those things where sometimes sometimes you need Steph Joe to cut someone down thirty yards from goal where you know he's not gonna get sent off. And and that's what we lacked last year. We've got an edge this year, a real edge. We need that nastiness. I'm into it. Um, let's get some questions yeah. before we... Uh, <laughs> He's put a fight on the table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we uh, finish today's podcast, uh, we haven't got time for too many, but I know a few have come in, so... We um, have got a couple. Let's get them answered. We've got a couple of great questions, but a lot of them are actually just, you know, sort of point statements, which well, I really make, enjoy, but I, I'm going to have to read them because some of them are really, really good. Um, one of them was from Shredhead. He says, watching on telly in Portugal, my wife, who's only ever seen us lose at home to Grimsby and Liverpool, said, <laughs> it looks like they can actually play football. <laughs> is she right? Of course she is. It's all part of the same question. It's yes. a great tweet. Shred, Shredhead, she's right. She's spot on. We're really good at football. I mean, 
What a separatic time of watching Fulham. Yeah, Grimsby and Liverpool. Grimsby, presumably in the 90s. Liverpool, presumably in the noughties. And then she's now watched a game in 2018. That's only better about my Italian colleague who's a Napoli fan, who the only time he's been at the cottage was when his Juventus friends, who he hates, obviously, had a spare ticket <laughs> wow. for the for the match against oh, Fulham. Amazing. And he got to not only watch one of the greatest Fulham matches, but then got to watch Juve fans cry. So he's <laughs> I'm trying to bring him out to Reading next week, but that's got to be one of the most opportune Single yeah, I feel like if his only match he's been to at Craven Cottage is Juventus 4 1. Stay should, away. You Just should, stay away. You should leave it there and not take it. He will come and we will lose to Reading 3 0. No, no, no. <laughs> Just bring him to Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> Christian at C Dunn, he says, Would you put Kalas back in the starting 11? Mm. Although he has been very good on the whole, don't worry, haven't forgotten about Rangers. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it, in my opinion. Lydia, I'm going to start with you, please. Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm a big fan of keeping the centre-back partnership as much as you can. I think it had to change because he, he was injured, wasn't he? That yeah. was the, the first change. But Odoi's come in and really won that shirt, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, I do think that his lack of height is an issue, especially going into, you know, the likes of like Sheffield Wednesday, for example, where they have a lot of big, tall um, p- p- people up front. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think if Odoi's won the shirt, why not wait until he's sort of lost it again um, before we make a change? Um, it's, it, you know, it's obviously going to be d- down to Slav at the end of the day, but um, I think at the minute I would be keeping Odoi. I'm not sure I agree, actually. I think for Sheffield Wednesday, I think they're a big physical side and mm. uh, Nuhu? Nuhu. Yeah. Nuhu. Yeah. It's from Kosovo. That's weird, isn't it? It's a cool one. <laughs> it's different. No, he scored like two international goals since Kosovo became international. Did Kosovo and Serbia get along? No, no, they probably really don't. not. <laughs> no, 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 as in does Serbia they, get they, on with them? They anyone? really don't. Yeah, it's just that I'm saying Kosovo is like an, a, a part of Yugoslavia. But, but Croatia got, and like, Serbia is the real clash oh, yeah, in that in yeah. that region. Bosnia, Bosnia and Serbia. <laughs> we don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to stick. We don't want to stick. Ed and Jeff. Where is? Where is? Hang on, hang on. So, so to to bring it back before we get into, obviously we can discuss geopolitical politics. Here's a question for you. When was the last time we had Callas and Reem in the and or when we when did we had last time we have that partnership? Was that was that Wolves? Four QPL. So Wolves was it Wolves? Was it the Wolves? I think it was Wolves, the wasn't Wolves? it? Oh, it couldn't have been that far away, surely, was it? Well, it been. It's been a while. He's been he's been a centre back. Yeah, because because Adoy was definitely there for Sheffield United because he had that lovely little Maisie run through the middle of the pitch. Yeah, you're right. I, did I do. That I remember too. that. I it was that. it was great. Um, so I I was gonna say I agree with Sammy. I, I think that. You I think I, I think back. Slav, and this is what I think Slav will do as well, needs to take it on a game-by-game basis. Mm. Look at what, if Callas is back to full fitness, see what he needs from his centre-backs. Ream is just a constant, he's always going to be there. If it's big, physical, I think Callas is better suited to that job. I think, though, that Adoy is better technically and deserves to be there when we kind of play the, the trickier sides, if you see what I mean. Can, can we make one point, though? It's one thing I love about Slav. I have, like, sort of a, a bugbear about the sort of anti-Mourinho type. I just really hate managers that don't back their players. Like, you can trash your player privately and you can give them a hard time, but I really love managers that back them publicly. It was such a nice thing after Adoy's slip against QPR to see him come back out against Norwich, to come back out tonight... And, and you know, Slav just backs him 100%. And I just think if you're a player, that's got to mean so much to you because you know that if you give your, you know, if, if something happens, you make a mistake, the manager's not going to, to you know, come down on you like a ton of bricks. I think it's special. I'm actually with Lydia. I think I'd stay Odoi. Mm. Um, look at the last 10 minutes today. They brought Pierre-Michel Sogar on, who's taller than you, um, as a point of interest. And he didn't win that many headers against Adoy. Yeah, he won a couple. Like, it wasn't, you know, plain sailing by any stretch of the imagination. But Adoy's leap is unbelievable. He was practicing and, before the game against QPR. We watched him practicing. But also, you know, what you're saying, about, you know, we, none of us have forgotten that mm. Dennis Adoy fell over against QPR and gifted them a goal, right? No one's forgetting that. But, you know, ultimately, he's actually had two very, very good performances <laughs> since. And I would argue that his performance at QPR was pretty solid. I, like, he wasn't yeah. magnificent, but he did a bit, and he was like, yeah. He, and I remember, I mean, we posted 
early on in the second half against QPR being like well Dennis Adoy has just sent uh, just sent uh, Pavel Vlasek for a pint of milk <laughs> and a packet of crisps which came back to bite us a little bit but you know we won't we won't dwell on it Dennis Adoy is a better player with the ball mm. and over the entire international break Dennis Adoy and Tim Ream would have been working together on defensive issues right whatsapping each other no snapchatting in yeah. in Motspur every day while Thomas Callas was in China Right, with the Czech Republic. How dare he? No, China. he did well. Thomas Callas went out there and scored. You know, he, he did a good job. But at the same time, when you're putting two centre backs together for two weeks, where they can train, 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 train together, and they've been the, the centre back partnership for the last couple of games, why would you suddenly break them up and be like, Adoy hasn't done anything wrong tonight, has he? Like, no one's, no one's going, oh, Dennis Adoy needs to be dropped. Yeah, like, he had a good game. And ultimately, I feel like maybe he could. You know, do another job against Sheffield United. Even if it's Ream going first header and Adoy clears up behind. Fine, done, works. Mm. Like, it's one of those things. Um, Cabano, or Quebecino, as he is, he says, with Cesc and Aite seeming quiet over the last few games and Cabano back in the squad, is it time to reintroduce Niskins Cabano and who are our best wingers? Nathan, I'll start with you. Let's chuck it different. Yeah, so really quickly, I actually think Floyd has had some really good games. I'd much prefer to see him than Piaz on, on the pitch. I thought he worked really hard tonight, um, and, and I'm very happy. At the same time, I wouldn't mind seeing Niskins come out and get some, get some game time. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to, to, so, to someone else, but I just want to say I think Floyd gets a bit of grief, and we're sort of underappreciated at times. And I think today. that he's been very solid when he comes on and gives us a bit of that pluck in the middle. So. Fine with Aite starting. Uh, I don't think Piazan should be on the right. I would like to see a bit more of Niskin Skabano off the bench. I don't see why Slav isn't picking him from the Slav's bench. Liz? Yeah, I think Cabano's better as, as an impact um, sub kind of kind of guy. But I also think that our players are looking very tired at the minute. Mm-hmm. So I think whether it's um, our wingers or maybe our, our, our full-backs, I do think changes need to be made in the next... Uh, the next couple of weeks, especially if we're going to be in the playoffs, we don't want burnout. Okay, and last one. This is a great question. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Lester Wyatt says, with McDonald sticking one away with his backside tonight, what would be your nominees for Fulham's shithouse goal of the season? Fredo at QPR is my number one. Sammy, I'm going to start with you here. Wait, oh, so he has. I thought you just were giving... shit goals that Fulham have scored. I, I mean, I can't look any far, further than Barnsley. I just can't look any further than Barnsley away. Fredo at QPR, though. I know Fredo. It was excellent, but it. I just loved Kev, everything about Kevin McDonald at Barnsley. It, maybe it was just being there and and the stampede to the front while Kevin <laughs> McDonald went mental at the away end. But everything about it was beautiful. Lids. Um, I'm actually going to go a wee bit out there. I don't. Um, I'm going to go for Middlesbrough away. Not oh, I mean, oh, yeah, penalty at the good. end of the day, but oh my word, we did not deserve that. <laughs> and the penalty. I mean, I love Ollie Norwood. <laughs> I love him to bits. But good grief, that was the worst dive I have ever seen. Agreed. And we got the penalty, and the big man himself <laughs> stepped up. We did not deserve that, but three points and against Tony P- um, Pulis. So. Beautiful. Well, it was a pretty Can't buy it. Can't yeah. buy it. Do you know it. there's uh, one note, uh, suggestion that I've just remembered? Wait. Dennis Adoy last minute against Preston. I was about to say that. Oh, that was a pretty good one. That was strong. It was actually a good, a great thing. Was great finish? Oh, well, it was a good finish. So I do want to say, I actually think Lydia, I actually would, would concur with Lydia. I think we did not deserve the points at Middlesbrough. <laughs> Ollie just falls down. <laughs> it was great. But you know what? We win that. We don't win that in previous years. But I do have to say, like, watching the replay back before we started, this was a horrible goal tonight. I mean, Kevin doesn't even see the wonderful. ball. It was wonderful and it was ugly and everyone on the pitch knows it's that way. So, I mean, it's... For, for pure technique, you can't get much better than what Kevin did tonight. <laughs> it was beautiful. Best arse goal since Bobby Zamora. <laughs> yes. I love it. There was, a, yes. there was one. One of my favourites that is, is underrated and, and probably, you know, not necessarily as weird as they come was a very fun second goal against Burton. And this is a bit of a random suggestion because it didn't really affect proceedings. But 
like the way that the ball just sort of like falls to him in the air and he plucks mm. it out of the air the keeper should be going through him like a train like as if the keeper hasn't come through and he said he has the time to like pluck the ball out of the air put it yes. down and score it and and he is a man devoid of confidence right he is the the, the last thing Gosh. that Burton Burton Albion needed was to give Fulham's like devoid of confidence striker <laughs> a chance to assert his position in the game like suddenly Rui Font is a man reborn he's like giving it to the Hammersmith then and it's an absolute carnage but I've got a rogue contender and this is only going to be a rogue contender if things happen in the end of the season my suggestion is Leon Clark for Sheffield United <laughs> against oh, yeah. Cardiff City last night <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because if Cardiff throw this away by anything more than a point that goal is going to go down in Fulham folklore and it's one of the worst goals I've ever seen horrible. ever 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 it was exceptional um, we haven't really mentioned Cardiff tonight I don't really think there's too much to no. debate no. they're five points ahead they've got a game in hand we hope they've they got a up. couple of they've got a couple of tough fixtures it's Wolves on Friday uh, and then it's Villa yes. next Tuesday for them so we can hope they slip up, but I don't think there's too much more to discuss with it. So that's why we I didn't have to bring take, it up. We do have, our own we job. Have to do our own job and capitalise if they make a mistake. I think if we have a conversation next Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and Fulham are two points behind Cardiff, they'll still have a game in hand. Then we'll start. To, then we'll talk about it. Okay. Then we'll talk about it. Probably. Deal. Right, uh, that is the end of the Fulhamish podcast today. Hope you've enjoyed it straight after the game. It's been something a little bit different for us. Unfiltered uh, hashtag. Yeah, we've been very civilised. Uh, the boys have been drinking Chianti and uh, Lydia and I have been drinking filtered water. Um, <laughs> Unfiltered water. <Yeah>. Unfiltered <laughs> podcast. Um, so all we need to do before we end today's podcast is uh, Secretary Jack needs to think of a witty title. I think we're going to have to go with that three-word review, which was just absolutely magnificent from Billy Marsh. Um, straight out of North Carolina. This is Betts, Butts, Ball Game. Very, very nice. Strong. It is actually a fairly magnificent three-word review. Uh, ascending Tricolor. What? Someone did English. <laughs> no, it's like, basically, when you t- it's actually a Latin thing. So when you come up... So you start with this uh, essay and you like use three words to like ascend your point into like a final kind of yeah, conclusion. Thank you, Billy Marsh. Yeah, I've learned that. And I've learned Christmas pudding formation too. Yeah, we, it's been it's been an education. Every day's a school day with Jason. <laughs> and on that bombshell, uh, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you to Lydia Campbell making a debut. Yep, thanks guys. Pleasure. Uh, Nathan also making his debut. Thank you for donating your front room as well. Anytime, anytime. Any Chianti. Anytime, Jack. <laughs> and JJWC, thank Big you up. as well. Hello, the boys. Uh, we will be back with a regular podcast next Monday, looking back at the Sheffield Wednesday game and looking forward to what I loved the Fulham marketing team calling Redemption. Oh, no. I loved it. I loved it. That's where we differ. So we will see you next Monday. Until then, have a great one. Peace, Steph.